Can your IRA stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is at our doorsteps? By allocating a percentage of your IRA into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from turbulent markets and economic downturns by putting your IRA back on the gold standard. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Call now for your free gold and silver report. Protect your IRA today with one simple phone call and learn how to qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. Call Genesis Gold Group, empowering faith-driven stewardship. 800-915-2051. 800-915-2051. That's 800-915-2051. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military. I've spent a decade taking a bite out of conspiracy theories, unraveling urban legends, and grappling with worldwide top secret issues. I've even racked up some of their awards. Wow, I mean, first of all, what a question. Journalism is about telling the truth, all while ferreting out the bottom line. I'm a Harrison Hellraiser. Uh oh, with me, Gary Harrison, as your guide. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military, with Gary Harrison. Gary Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com, where we just last week, in, let's see, in 13 weeks, we have wiped out $2 million in regular people's medical debt. This is a, uh, a radio historical moment. Radio does not go do that. Radio tries to make money radio commercial radio anyway sells advertising to make money well not here (laughs) we're the inverse quotient we're helping the listener you are the listener and uh, uh, the previous program which if you're hearing this in podcast you won't know what i'm talking about but the previous program was just talking about sundown towns which were famous in the united states if you're a person of color and you went into a certain town after sundown the sheriff would show up and give you the ugly stick or the end of a gun basically you had to leave you were not welcome there uh, i am today in the state of florida which is now a sundown state and i'm white and it's because it is affecting everyone not only principally and most famously people of color when the governor stated that critical race theory could not be taught, that would be acknowledging that there was slavery. Acknowledging it is illegal in the state of Florida. But now we're talking, and we're not talking about banning books. It is now legal to ban books. I'm going to say that again, because a lot of us, when we went to school, we read Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, and that was just shocking. It's terrifying. A horror story, worse than Dracula, worse than than werewolves, worse than anything, banning and burning books. Uh, It reminds us of the Third Reich, doesn't it, in 1937. I'm going to hold up right now. For those of you who are going to catch this on video later, you can go to RethinkingHeroes.com, RethinkingHeroes.com, and you'll see this program streaming. I'm holding up a book here that I got in Berlin, Germany, from a bookstore that hid one of every burnt book that the Nazis burnt in 1937. Hid it in the basement. It's still hidden. It is not open to the public. It is hidden because they know that if people find out, those books will all be removed, possibly burnt again. This is not a safe time. This is a special secret library of a copy of each. I'm holding up a book. This was written by Leo Tolstoy, and it's a, uh, a special printing, hand-printed. You can see that the drawings here are done on paper and pasted in. Tolstoy, of course, was a great fictional history writer. He wrote about what was really going on. But in the spirit of Mark Twain or uh, Jonathan Swift, who gave us Gulliver's Travels, not about giants, Lilliputians, and Brobdingnagians, but about the king. But you could not write about the king back then because your head would mysteriously fall off your shoulders and roll down the gutter. I think you get my point. Well, we're back in the, in the area now where we have Governor Ron DeSantis running for president of the United States, not doing this for the benefit of people of Florida, but doing this for the benefit of people who would take down this country and turn it into a full-on dictatorship. Banning books is anathema. 
And let me tell you, my family came over on the Mayflower. Two of my ancestors signed the Declaration of Independence. Had they imagined that somebody would be burning books, books that they wrote, perhaps? They would, should we say, be displeased. I am displeased. And I am today in that state, surrounded by not only book banning, and one can ban a book, by the way, you. Let's say your name is Mildred. Mildred decides that she doesn't like a book. She's never read it, does not have to read it, does not have to know anything about it. But she can call up the school board and they will pull it off the shelves never to be returned. And it will go through a six-month review, at which point it may or may not be reviewed, but it will stay permanently banned. And you do this to get rid of anyone you don't like, like Tolstoy and the Nazis. Why would the Nazis get rid of a Tolstoy book? Well, what is this book called? We're going to read it in the German title, and then we'll translate it. This original book that is was uh, sitting in a secret spot is called Wo Liebe ist da ist Gott. Uh, wherever you live, there is God. Well, in the Nazi world, there may be God, but that God was the Fuhrer, not some other one that might give you alternative thinking or maybe make you feel better in a bad situation. That book had to go away. We're talking the same thing, and this is the real world right now. And it upsets me so wildly that we're going to be doing more Rethinking Heroes episodes on it. On the heroes, the underground, it's as if it's World War II, the French underground, people that are fighting this kind of, it's fascism. I mean, this is the stuff that your great-grandfather went to Germany to fight, went and fought Mussolini, went and fought uh, Franco. This was the stuff. This was the stuff. And that it's happening in the land of E Pluribus Unum is shocking. And I say that because I have a maybe a longer connection with this place. And I was told by uh, JFK's secretary's son. I know that sounds a little weird, but we did a, a show with him a while ago. He had received JFK's watch after the assassination. His mother, JFK's personal secretary, had been given it by Jackie Kennedy as a she had been a a dutiful secretary and it still had blood and uh dna uh embedded in it uh and the cia grabbed this guy this kid this son of the secretary flew him around a la guantanamo for a month in a plane in the sky to disorient him took his watch and then charged him with um uh i don't know what exactly but something akin to terrorism because he had the evidence, and this is three years ago. Anyway, he told me, you know, you come from this lineage, you have a duty. I said, I have a duty? You have a duty to make things right. You can't just split. Like a lot, you know, oh, it gets so bad, I'm going to move to Italy. It gets so bad, I'm going to go to New Zealand. You know, climate change gets so bad, I'll go to New... He said, you, you cannot be that guy. Other people can be that guy, but you cannot. You, your family helped start this joint, so you have a responsibility to protect it. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting uh, charge. But you know what? I believe it. And I believe we all do. If we believe in civics, if we believe in helping each other, because no one else is coming out to help us. The government, the head of the state in which I'm standing right now of, of Florida, the governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis, is not here to help. In fact, today, today, he has taken a giant university and he has converted it by taking $35 million out of the state budget and he is turning it into basically Nazi finishing school. It is no longer a university, though it is taxpayer funded, that will be teaching general education. It will be teaching the governor's education with his own personally installed board. There was such an organization outside of Dachau, and I realize this is violating the uh, Godwin's law, even making comparisons to any historical thing. But guess where the Machiavellian manual for all of this comes from? And uh, former President Trump had a copy of it at his, at his bedside. And we're not talking Mein Kampf. We're talking the second book. The second book? There was no second book. Yes, there was. It was called My New Order. And if you look at the divorce between him and Ivana Trump, the central core of the divorce argument, it's a lawsuit after all, a divorce, was that he was memorizing annotated speeches from the Fuhrer in this book, My New Order. And where was she from? Eastern Europe. Not a good fit. So she left. Uh, This stuff works, especially when it's annotated. Say this six times, the crowd does this. 
say this and this and this, you could actually change physical policy in a state, in a region, in a nation, in a, in a series of countries and states tied together on a continent. So this is just something interesting for you to think about. What is your relationship with this kind of stuff going on? You can ignore politics all you want, and, and I am not advocating that you become obsessed with politics. What I'm saying is you can ignore politics all you want, but politics will never ignore you. Think about that. You can ignore it. You can watch the Kardashians. You can sit and watch Netflix. You can worry about your own stuff. But all of this stuff will happen in multiples because you're not paying attention to it. And then the next thing you know, you suddenly have problems because you're on the radar. And it will happen. We've seen it over and over again for thousands of years. So little call to action. But I want to give a shout out instead of with a smiling. Now I'm smiling. See, I'm smiling. You can see it on the video, RethinkingHeroes.com. I am smiling because there are people who suit up and show up on behalf of others who do extraordinary things when people are so powerless, so defenseless, so impossibly buried in debt. And, and when your debt is so bad, you really can't handle basic stuff. We all know about Maslow's hierarchy, don't we? food, water, shelter. When those three basic things are met, food, water, shelter, now you can do music, science, art, ballet. But if you have no food, water, shelter, because you're so deeply in debt, you don't know if you're going to be able to pay your rent. And if you're in Los Angeles and you see thousands, plural, thousands of people living in tents on the sidewalks, it looks kind of normal to you. But other people in the world watch it on TV. It does not look kind of normal to them. And a lot of those people have debt. And a lot of those people have medical debt. And some of those people are even military people. What? What? I know we've gone over this a million times. You still don't believe it. I thought that military people, and we learned this, and it was confirmed and corroborated last week by uh, Adam Schiff. Who else? But we assume that when you are in the military and you come back, all your expenses are paid forever. Thank you very much for your service. Unlimited, all you can eat health care, need a house, not a problem, GI Bill, cool. Well, if you have medical problems, if they are directly associated with your service, provably connected to your service, and you have a sickness, yes, it's covered. But if it's not provably, let's say you get a, a cancer, uh, an oncological issue, and you cannot connect it to 40 years ago in Vietnam in the jungle being exposed to Agent Orange, it may not be covered by the VA, which means you have to go out, find a doctor like the rest of us, and then you pay cash or your 20 grand in insurance plus copay plus deductible. We can go on forever. We all know that song, don't we? And it can destroy you. And let me put into perspective why it's doubly tough to be a veteran. One is you have probably PTSD, even if you never saw action, just living like that. But you have something extra. You're 18 years old. You've never really had a job. Maybe you've cut some lawns or something, or maybe that's white guy suburban childhood like mine. So maybe you never cut lawns. Maybe you just did stuff, worked at a grocery store. I don't know what you did. But you go and you join the military. And the only training you've ever had is how to hold a gun, how to be a sharpshooter, how to hit a target, how to follow and march orders and, and do all the rest of that. And that's great. You come back. You've done your service. It doesn't really matter what you went through. Let's just assume it was generally unpleasant. Your resume, when you go to look for a real job, whatever a real job is in today's world, what have you done? Well, I fired a lot of guns. I can hit a live human at a mile and a half in the rain with one eye. Oh, okay. Well, we're actually looking for a host at the restaurant who can welcome people and show them a lovely table and maybe observe fresh flowers and make sure that they haven't gotten stale. <laughs> yeah, well, that person doesn't have that life experience. Now, they can learn it because they're actually disciplined. They would really be the right person to pick because they'll learn it in about one day. But because their resume doesn't reflect anything, even remotely, that looks like that kind of job task, they may get passed over. 
And so a lot of them don't have the jobs. They don't have the history. They don't have the resources to pay a rent that's above 1200, 1500 and rents in Los Angeles, 2500, 3000, 4000. Who has those jobs anyway? Yeah, it's tough. So people end up in tents. All that to say, I'm in love. I'm in love with a nonprofit organization that has made it possible for this show, Rethinking Heroes, in just 14 weeks to wipe out $2 million in medical debt. And this is medical debt that affects you and me and our neighbors, along with veterans, along with everybody. If you're alive and human and you live in this country, you you could have medical debt. You could have a lot of medical debt. So if you're listening from Europe and we have a lot of people overseas in Germany and Switzerland and Norway, you're laughing and laughing because you can't even wrap your head. What do you mean medical debt? I go to the doctor. It's free. I go home. I'm fixed. What are you talking about? We have an entirely different system. It's um, kind of like fixing a car. The mechanic only makes money if the car is broken. He does not make money if the car is never broken. So we have a country of purposely broken people. And there's a giant industry that cleans up insurance industries, the secondary and tertiary industries that all feed off of each other. And most of us have no idea that this is a little weird. Uh, and when we compare it to other countries that we might assume are first world, they act more first world than us in some ways. Well, there was born a, an organization called RIP Medical Debt, a nonprofit. And they realized that this is an impossible task for people to try to self-solve medical debt that keeps mounting and mounting, especially if they have a chronic illness. So they got together, uh, and this was based on Jerry Ashton, whose name you've heard before, and you've heard me uh, endlessly talk about RIP medical debt and the good they do. Well, they have found a way to help wipe this out for just a little amount of money. And they remove, I think up to now, we're talking in the billions. So... We, Rethinking Heroes, because of them, through them, and the courtesy and niceness of every radio station and every affiliate that has joined us, we've wiped out two million in regular people's medical debt. We haven't done this alone because we've worked closely with nonprofit partners like RIP Medical Debt. So why, why have we done this? Well, you might remember in your history books a guy named President Obama, and he told me at the White House several years ago to do something using radio that would make a difference. So I made that commitment, and by extension, every station or streaming platform you're hearing this on has become a part of that same positive commitment. All of this is being done in the name of our service members, past and present. So what happens in the future as the pandemic fizzles away and positive medical policies fizzle away with them? I mean, we're all wondering, what's going to happen? Will you and I ever see universal health care as every single person in Europe gets to enjoy I mean, imagine if you didn't have to blow 12 grand a year just on health insurance, another several thousand on co-pays and deductibles. Let's throw in your pharmacy. Then if you're actually sick, you have to pay for anesthesiologists, Q-tips, nurses, hospitals, air conditioning, uh, the whole hotel structure that is really a hospital. What is it? It's a hotel with medical services. And every single level of doctor and nurse rings up a separate fee and on and on and on. In Europe, you get no bill, you get repaired, you go home. They're done, poof. That's your medical care and medical care delivered by doctors trained in Switzerland and Germany and other elite first world nations. And you, you here or you there would have an extra 20 grand a year to enjoy lunch in a sidewalk cafeteria, go on a vacation, a real vacation, and you're plus 15 to 20 grand a year automatically. Plus you'd have retirement money. Doesn't that make you a little jealous? Well, the few of us anyway that actually know the game played here, at home now let's talk about the cure let's talk about the superheroes in the middle of the room with me now is eva marie stahl she's the vp of public policy at rip medical debt she ensures that the nonprofit's beneficiaries are centered in policy solutions that means changing the system to address the medical debt crisis rip's policy priorities for the time being broadly are comprehensive and affordable health insurance coverage accessible clear and generous financial aid policies from providers ooh, and the banning of extraordinary collection ad actions like wage garnishments and law Lawsuits. Oh, the, the symphony is playing in my ears. So, Eva Stahl, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thanks. It's great to be here. 
We're so glad to have you here. Uh, we have Democratic candidates like Marianne Williamson advocating for Bernie Sanders style Medicare for all. If that were the case, financial hardship would be reduced. People would start getting some mighty bang for their group medical buck through their taxes. Do you think this is ever likely to happen within anyone's lifetime? Well, we certainly need to work a little harder at it, right? So because people need access to comprehensive and affordable health coverage, without a doubt, that while we hope that insurance helps people um, and shields them as a protective factor of sorts against medical debt, um, we know that insurance right now is just not good enough, right? It's it's not helping protect people. We find that increasingly insured people are carrying medical debt. So their insurance is not working um, in a way that really helps them. So is it possible? Um, you know, it, it's hard to tell um, where the wind is going to blow us, but I, I think that people have a unified um, you know, sense of that something is necessary um, to sort of help people um, make sure that they're protected um, in, a, in a comprehensive way so that they're not carrying medical debt when they just simply need to access health care. And you, Eva Stahl, are the Mother Teresa in the middle of the room. You're the, you are the one that we know about. You're actually the organization doing this. There is no greater solution to this particular problem in the United States other than your organization, RIP Medical Debt. And you can learn more about them at ripmedicaldebt.org. Uh, is there any value to having free preventative services? Can they be legally covered by marketplace plans? Sure. So, you know, the Affordable Care Act um, provided that certain preventative health care services be covered for free. Um, and this was tremendous, right? 150 million people could then access those screenings that we know are super important, like getting a cancer screening or tobacco cessation, right? These are really important things that help keep people healthy. And that also includes making sure that there are screenings for over 37 million children. So a federal district judge in March ruled that this part of the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional and wants to roll it back nationally. We certainly think this is a not a good ruling and the government is appealing this ruling because it's so important to make sure that people get this preventative care. So, you know, just like we want to think about policy change upstream, we want people to think about their health in an upstream way too, right? We want them to get the screenings that they need. We want them to stay healthy because that keeps them out of catastrophic care. It helps them manage chronic conditions that burden people with medical debt. That is a really good analysis. It reminds me of how Canada, and this was a few years ago, was offering a tax abatement. So you got a reduced tax if you bought a bicycle, not to make freeways, you know, less congested. But they found, I know it's shocking, riding a bicycle is good for your health. People lost weight. People's cholesterol went down. They got happy. And of course, less of a burden on the national healthcare system. So I think what you're talking about, Eva Stahl, is some of us sort of learning new ways to manage our own healthcare so we don't end up in bad places too. That's absolutely right. And think about it. Almost half of adults in this country, they skip or delay care because of the fear of medical costs. So, you know, that really says to us, says something to us as a nation, right? What, what do we need to do to help people access easily and without fear to get the health care they need to be healthy so that they don't end up carrying this burdensome medical debt that really plagues them and affects their life decisions. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. You can learn more all about us. You can see who we're uh, giving light to. Uh, we vet, we hunt, we gather we forage for the nuts and berries of your future, to be exactly scientific about it, and find the cool people who are out there changing things in a better way for you. One of them is who we're speaking to right now, Eva Stahl. She is with RIP Medical Debt, and they have wiped out, am I right, Eva, in saying $8 billion in That's U.S. Right. medical debt? That's right, for over 5 million, 5 million people. And so the two million that we've done has touched thousands of people from California to North Carolina, all over the country. So we're continuing that in the same flavor of being part of the solution rather than being a typical radio show and just bitching about a problem. Just go on. Here it is. More poison. You know, good luck. Have a nice day. Good luck to y'all. See ya. No, 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 no. 
for every piece of difficult information, we are providing an equal measure of solution, which is why we have on right now Eva Stahl. Uh, let's talk for a second about Medicaid, because in California, we have Medi-Cal, which is uh, most people qualify if they're under a certain income level. They get full, all-you-can-eat, unbelievable European-flavored medicine. That includes prescriptions. That includes a brain transplant if there were such a thing. Um, other states do not offer that. So they're you know pretty progressive on the way. And then we have people who are over a certain age who get Medicare, uh, radio listeners particularly, may skew a little older, so Medicare is very important. But Medicaid redetermination, which is really what we're talking about in all the different states that are listening to Rethinking Heroes right now or hearing this on Spotify or on Audible, are wondering, uh, Medicaid redetermination, I've heard of that. I get Medicaid uh, in the public health emergency. I was certainly covered. But now that that's winding down, what is Medicaid redetermination, I wonder? It's a mouthful, right? And not a regular person would really understand what that meant. But we all know about the public health emergency. And the public health emergency, is the ending is just around the corner. It's on May 11th. But many states started as early as the end of last year preparing for what we call Medicaid retermination. So that means that during COVID, as you mentioned, during the public health emergency, people had continuous coverage. And that was really an effort by the government to make sure that people had health coverage during that really fragile time. So now that we've decided that the public health emergency is ending and we're living with the reality of COVID, people will be redetermined whether they are actually eligible and they fall into that income category, as you mentioned, for Medicaid. So what this means for people across the nation in all states is that as many as 14 million people could lose their coverage with this, what we call wind down. So it's really important to get the word out. If you're on Medicaid, it's important to reach out to the Medicaid agency, make sure your address is correct, make sure you understand what your options are if you're no longer eligible for Medicaid, because you very well might be eligible for an Affordable Care Act plan on the marketplaces. And thanks to the Inflation Reduction Act, that those subsidies are even more than they used to be, which really makes the premiums affordable. And for some people, they pay nothing. So it's just a really important period of time to get the word out that communities are talking about it and that people are paying attention um, as they sort of redetermine whether or not people can be enrolled in this important program. I'm so glad we had you on today because generally we just celebrate getting rid of the medical debt, but we haven't really given enough uh time or inspection as to what people can do on their own um, to avoid that medical debt. And that's part of what RIP Medical does. It's part of what you do. So you have just given us invaluable schooling here on proactive things we can do, like pick up the phone. I mean, we're not talking about calisthenics, hundreds of them a day, breaking a sweat, you know, giving up. No, no, this is easy stuff. Just make sure that you're still enrolled. Make that phone call. Find out uh, your nature. Prior to RIP Medical, Eva Stahl, you were a leader. You were a leader in the health ad- advocacy community for over a decade as director of policy and partnerships at, com- and at Community Catalyst. And during your tenure, you collaborated with national partners to advance healthcare affordability priorities and a health equality agenda to address social determinants of health. And let's just end on this. Um, I'm a fan of everybody getting health care because there's something really simple. If you're a mailman who you go, well, you know, he's not of my class and caliber. He should have to pull himself up by his bootstraps and get his own thing. Well, let's say he gets COVID and uh, goes to the mailbox, puts in the letter, and within 20 seconds, your little daughter comes out, grabs the mail. It now has active COVID on it. She brings it into the house. The whole family has COVID. That's what happens when you don't handle viruses and bacteria and communicable diseases because, like it or not, poor people are human. Like it or not, rich people are human. Like it or not, we're all human and nobody is exempt from any kind of health issue. So if we keep it all pretty well fixed, then the whole problem tends to be diminished. Am I way off or am I close to something there? I think you're pretty close to something there, right? We need to take care of each other. 
And, you know, there needs to be a collective calling that, you know, this is part of our responsibility as communities, as states, as nations, that, that we we are all one and we need to make sure that we walk together forward and be healthy. And that means making sure people have access to the coverage they need, the health care they need um, so that they can do that. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We've been talking to Eva Marie Stahl, VP of Public Policy at RIP Medical Debt. She ensures that the nonprofit's beneficiaries, that would be you, are centered in policy solutions to address the medical debt crisis. And RIP's policy priorities for the time being, broadly, are comprehensive and affordable health insurance coverage array, accessible, clear, and generous financial policies from providers, Wow. And the banning of extraordinary banning of extraordinary collection actions like wage garnishments and lawsuits. Well, I feel better in my rock hard chair as we speak. I want to thank you so much, Eva Stahl with RIP Medical. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks so much for having me. And thanks to your listeners for being so generous and keep abolishing debt. They are groovy cats. And without you, there'd be no... uh, I can't think of the metaphor, but I think you know what I mean. Coming up in just a couple of minutes, we're going to talk to Robert Ellsberg. He's the son of Daniel Ellsberg, a name made famous coast to coast, a man who literally changed history, may have even helped stop a war. And his son was part of that since the son was 13 and has been following up on that good work. And here's why it's important, because it affects and touches you. And that's coming up. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison, Life After the Military. RethinkingHeroes.com. Can your IRA stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is at our doorsteps? By allocating a percentage of your IRA into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from turbulent markets and economic downturns by putting your IRA back on the gold standard. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Call now for your free gold and silver report. Protect your IRA today with one simple phone call and learn how to qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. Call Genesis Gold Group, empowering faith-driven stewardship. 800-915-2051. 800-915-2051. That's 800-915-2051. Rethinking Heroes. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. Rethinking Heroes. Life after the military with Carrie Harrison. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. RethinkingHeroes.com. Does the public have a right to know about so much that's hidden from view, especially threats to peace? Let me quote something. We need truth tellers inside major institutions, especially those involved in war making, to share internal secrets, even if this means risking security clearances, careers, or even jail time to share what they know. Well, a couple of years ago, Robert Ellsberg wrote that piece for America Magazine. He said, 50 years ago, my father, Daniel Ellsberg, leaked the Pentagon Papers to the New York Times, and it changed his life and mine. So if you're listening to Rethinking Heroes on Spotify or maybe one of our FM or AM music stations, you're going to have heard of the historical Pentagon Papers, but you may not remember the nuts and bolts of it. So here's a quick uh, refresher. The Pentagon Papers from the late 1960s revealed that the United States had been involved in Vietnam for much longer than the public had been led to believe. 
papers also showed that the U.S. government had been aware of the limitations of its military strategy in Vietnam, but had continued to escalate the war anyway. The Pentagon, Pentagon papers also revealed that the U.S. government had lied to the public about its intentions in Vietnam, and those papers were leaked to the press in 1971 by Daniel Ellsberg, a former Pentagon employee who had worked on the study. The publication of the Pentagon Papers led to a major scandal and helped turn public opinion against the Vietnam War. Pentagon Papers also had a significant impact on the First Amendment. This is the reason you and I are actually sitting here, right here, right now, today. That First Amendment, as they, the Pentagon Papers helped to establish the principle that the government cannot censor information that is in the public interest. So you can tell that to Julian Assange or Edward Snowden. For all of us listening and watching today, these historical Pentagon Papers are also a reminder of the importance of a free press in a democracy. With me now is Robert Ellsberg, the son of Pentagon Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. Robert Ellsberg is the publisher of Orbis Books, where he's worked for 36 years. And speaking of heroes, Robert's father, Daniel Ellsberg, is facing his last months with pancreatic cancer and has been reflecting on his life, including his decision to copy these top secret Pentagon papers for which he expected to spend the rest of his life in prison. And the copying of those Pentagon papers had an unexpected role in the resignation of Richard Nixon and the end of the Vietnam War. Both Daniel Ellsberg and his son Robert have devoted their lives to warning of the dangers of nuclear war. Robert Ellsberg, I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. And Robert Ellsberg, when you were 13, you helped your father copy the Pentagon Papers. You write, that's how I happened to find myself later that day, standing over the primitive Xerox machine in a borrowed office. I didn't suppose that this might entail any personal risk for me, though it did later cause me to be subpoenaed before a federal grand jury and thus implicated me in a case for which my father would ultimately face 115 years in prison. But that was in the future. On that day in 1969, the most exciting moment occurred soon after we arrived. When police officers knocked on the door, my father, having neglected to turn off the burglar alarm, tell us a little bit about that experience. Well, it began uh, earlier that day in October 1969. I was having lunch with my father, and I had been watching the progress, of course, of his uh, you could say radicalization about the Vietnam War and trying to think of uh, anything he could do to uh, hasten the end of it. Uh, and he told me how much he'd been inspired by the example of young men he'd met who were going to prison uh, to resist the draft. And he'd been reading uh, things like the uh, Duty of Civil Disobedience by Henry David Thoreau and the writings of Martin Luther King and Gandhi, which he shared with me. And so it was in that context that he explained that he had in mind to do something that would probably entail some risk for himself. It might have an impact on, on helping to end the war. Of course, he couldn't know for sure and uh, asked if I would help him. Uh, the plan was to copy these top secret documents and to provide them not originally to the newspapers, but to Congress, uh, assuming that they could be the uh, basis for congressional hearings. Uh, so that's how I happened to find myself that day in the office of, of a friend of a friend uh, with a primitive Xerox machine. I didn't play a, an enormous uh, role, but a small supporting role uh, in this historic action. Well, when I was 13, I don't know what I was doing, but I can hardly tell that story. So here you are this many years later doing the good work and uh robert ellsberg your father daniel ellsberg was after all a cold war insider you know working with the rand the think tank what was the path that caused his conversion from cold war insider to committed truth teller especially given all that risk i think it was the two years first that he spent in vietnam uh working for a state department interagency uh uh, uh outfit there from 1965 to 1967. Uh, during that time, he saw the, the war up close. He actually kind of in a risky uh, venture went out on patrols with Marines so he could uh, really see the truth of what was happening in the field, uh, risking his life, you know, constantly. Uh, I, I, you know, imagine sometimes how different history would be if, if he had not made it home. Fortunately, his life was saved by hepatitis, which sent him home. Uh, in the 1967. 
Uh, so then he began to get involved in uh, advising political candidates, uh, Bobby Kennedy and other Democratic uh, candidates in the 68 election. Uh, when Kennedy was was killed, uh, he really felt uh, a kind of hopelessness. But he still thought that perhaps the Nixon administration, which after all ran on the promise of having a secret plan to end the war, uh, had there was a possibility that they would not continue the same policies. What he found out in the fall of 1969 from friends, colleagues who were working for the new administration was that Nixon, his secret plan was to make, uh, was to escalate the war. In other words, to carry on the same kind of, of uh, intervention, uh, to lie about that to Congress, uh, and actually to make nuclear threats uh, to North Vietnam. Uh, and so it was in that context that he thought possibly if people knew this history, the secret history that he had been a part of, writing the new, uh, you know, participating in this research project, if people could see that pattern of lies uh, and deception, uh, that there was an opening there that could perhaps dissuade uh, Nixon from carrying out these policies. Well, Congress wouldn't take the papers, couldn't find anybody who would take them. Uh, and so two years went by. Uh, it's, it's unclear whether in 1979 or even two weeks later, in 1969, he would have had this idea of copying the papers. But at that moment, it seemed like it held some promise. Uh, it took two years before then finally he connected with the New York Times. Uh, they brought them out in uh, June of 1971 and then were followed by uh, many other uh, papers, the Washington Post and others that he gave them to. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. We're talking right now to Robert Ellsberg's son, a Pentagon Papers whistleblower, Daniel Ellsberg. Robert Ellsberg is the publisher of Orbis Books, where he's worked for 36 years, uh, doing lots of different uh, projects, including editing his father's works. Uh, speaking of heroes, Robert's father, Daniel Ellsberg, as I said before, is facing, unfortunately, his last month's with cancer and has been reflecting on his life, including that decision to copy the top secret Pentagon papers for which he expected to spend the rest of his life in prison. And now his son, Robert, is here with us talking more about what this is all about and why this is important, especially during this time in which we all live. Uh, you, Robert Ellsberg, later edited his two volumes, your father's two volumes of memoirs, Secrets and the Doomsday Machine, why did your father go into the anti-nuclear movement when it really wasn't that before so much? Well, actually, that's where he began in the late 1950s. His first job with the Rand Corporation was uh, trying to uh, was working on nuclear strategy, uh, particularly how to uh, maintain uh, a credible deterrence uh, against what at that time they believed was superiority by the Soviet Union. Uh, he became uh, he was always from the beginning. Uh, he is determined to do what he could to prevent uh, nuclear war. So Vietnam was kind of a digression from that for, for a number of years, from 1965 on until the uh, end of the war, really. Uh, when that was over, he returned to what he considered was the his original and his highest priority, which was to warn the world uh, about the dangers of nuclear war. And he's been doing that consistently for the last 50 years. He feels that at the moment we're at a, at a crisis point, uh, where the danger of nuclear war is higher than any time since uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And then there's the doomsday clock, another discussion for another time. Robert Ellsberg, we all joke about a presidential hit list. Uh, former President Trump joked that he had one. But Richard Nixon, President Richard Nixon, actually had one. And your father, Daniel Ellsberg, was at the very top of it. Oh, I, I, I was trying to think what you what you meant by that. You mean when he was called the most dangerous man in America by Henry yes. Kissinger? Uh, yes, yes, exactly. Now that's an interesting. People wonder why was my father so dangerous? He'd released these Pentagon Papers that mostly related, you know, after all, to the uh, policies of previous Democratic uh, administrations. Uh, but Nixon uh, and Kissinger were very worried uh, that he might have access through friends or colleagues uh, on the National Security Council to documents that would uh, deal with Nixon's plans, including his nuclear plans. And that made him extremely dangerous and someone that they had to silence, not just, you know, you'd think that uh, charging him with 11 felony counts facing 115 years in prison, that would keep him pretty occupied. But they were most <laughs> uh, uh, determined to make sure that he didn't talk about what they thought he knew. Well, he did know about it, but he did not have the documents to back it up. Uh, so that set in motion the, the creation of the plumbers uh, whose first target was to go after him. There's a HBO series uh, about that right now, I think. 
Uh, yes. And that involved, you know, uh, burglarizing his psychiatrist's office and many other illegal activities that when they came to light, uh, caused the dismissal of the case against him. But it turned out to have much more significant uh, ramifications because those same plumbers then were involved in the Watergate break-in, which there was no pro- uh, you know, provable link to the White House. But these same people had been working right out of the White House when they went after my father. So they had to be kept silent. And that meant that Nixon had to oversee obstruction of justice and, and the payoffs to the plumbers to make sure that they kept silent and uh, you know, went to prison <laughs> rather than tell what they knew. Uh, and that ultimately became the basis of the impeachable offenses that he was uh, that were investigated through Watergate, uh, led to his resignation, and therefore led in this funny indirect way, uh, very much to the end of the Vietnam War. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. And for many of us, this is a first time education sewing up history that we've all heard. Uh, bandied about discussions that we might have had on the dinner table. But these are the elements that have been missing that hopefully suture this together and help explain even how we got to where we are today. Robert Ellsberg, whistleblowing, or as your father prefers to say, truth-telling, is a major part of that. People often talk about the alleged harm of whistleblowing. Certainly our government thinks it's a very, very bad thing to do. Whereas your father, Daniel Ellsberg, believes there's incomparably greater damage done in the keeping of secrets. Well, you 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 know, he often you know thinks back to uh, well. Let me say this: people often say that why he copied the why he copied the Pentagon Papers was because he was upset by what they revealed about government lies. Uh, he said, you know, you you learn about government lies within uh, ten minutes of working for the government. If you can't tolerate lying by the government, you're in the wrong line of business. Now, one of the things the and he learned on his first day working in the Pentagon, he happened to arrive the day of the uh, Tonkin Gulf uh, so-called incident. Uh, within hours, uh, he could see that uh, he had the evidence or knew that what the government was saying about this supposed attack uh, on on U.S. destroyers in the Tonkin Gulf uh, was false. Uh, and yet, this was the basis then for the Tonkin Gulf resolution that that. Uh, authorized military intervention in Vietnam for the next you know, 10 years. Now, he he wonders what would have happened if he had disclosed that information you know, on his first week on the job. Uh, would it have changed history? It's, it's hard to, to say. But that's a very a clear example where incomparably more harm was done by keeping a secret uh, than could possibly occur through revealing it. Robert Ellsberg, how has your father, Daniel Ellsberg's example, influenced your own life, especially the work you've done in writing about saints, prophets, and witnesses for our time, knowing the contagious effect of courage, truth, and moral witness? Well, I I, I certainly am aware of the inspiration that my father's example has provided to to many other people, Uh, but I also know how much his own example, his own action, uh, was influenced by by the example of other people who who did not have access to top secret documents, but they had their own freedom, uh, they had their own conscience uh, that they could offer and put on the line, uh, and that totally changed his life. As their lives had been changed by the example of people like Rosa Parks or reading about Gandhi or Henry David Thoreau a hundred years before, uh, and it sort of set me on my own kind of question about how I was going to spend my life, and I think that's one of the reasons why my father wanted me to be a witness to his action in 1969. Uh, He thought he might spend the rest of his life in prison, but he wanted to pass along this legacy uh, to his children of the idea that there might be things uh, that were worth taking a risk uh, for, for the sake of uh, higher good or for uh, for other lives. Uh, And that uh, set me on my own path to to figure out how I was going to do that. And it led me first to work uh, with Dorothy Day at the Catholic Worker in New York City, uh, of uh, this uh, Catholic pacifist. I became a Catholic through that experience and went on then to write about uh, saints, holy lives, of uh, heroic people, uh, uh, knowing that, that there is that contagious kind of uh, quality to the example of moral witness. Uh, and I think that is sort of how I've spent a lot of my life since then, both as a publisher and as a writer, uh, kind of spreading those kind of seeds of consciousness, compassion, and concern for peace. 
Well, you certainly landed in the right place to talk about heroes, and you are one of them, my friend. We've been talking to Robert Ellsberg, son of Pentagon Papers whistleblower Daniel Ellsberg. Robert Ellsberg is the publisher of Orbis Books, where he's worked for 36 years. Mr. Ellsberg has edited many books about saints and moral heroes, and his most recent book is Lead Kindly Light, Gandhi on Christianity. I want to thank you so much for having joined us today. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure. Coming up, we're going to jump back into the medical form, but we're going to talk about what you can do if you're actually dealing with an illness rather than preemptively dealing with it. But if you're actually dealing with it or you have family members who are, a brand new way of thinking about it that you might find the first soothing Amalia. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison, Life After the Military. RethinkingHeroes.com. Can your IRA stand up to the next financial crisis that our top economists are saying is at our doorsteps? By allocating a percentage of your IRA into physical gold and silver with a tax-free rollover, you can diversify and safeguard your holdings from turbulent markets and economic downturns by putting your IRA back on the gold standard. Find out how to safeguard your assets with a tax-free rollover with a Genesis Gold IRA, the only IRA that can hold physical precious metals. Call now for your free gold and silver report. Protect your IRA today with one simple phone call and learn how to qualify for up to $10,000 in free silver. Call Genesis Gold Group, empowering faith-driven stewardship. 800-915-2051. 800-915-2051. That's 800-915-2051. Everybody wants cheap airfare, but where do you find it? Well, you call low-cost airlines because they specialize in cheap flights, in discount hotel rooms, in cheap car rentals, and with the best price guarantee. They explore hundreds of airlines, thousands of routes, millions of itineraries and fares to keep it simple for you. So if you want the lowest prices on your airline tickets or other travel services, call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. That's the only way to get these rates. Experts are standing by 24-7 to get you the cheapest airfare and hotel rates available, often 75% off. So don't wait. Call now. 901-235-1795. 901-235-1795. Rethinking Heroes, Life After the Military with Carrie Harrison. Carrie Harrison here with you. This is Rethinking Heroes, RethinkingHeroes.com. What if you have a significant illness that has a high risk of mortality or negatively impacts your daily function or quality of life, like cancer or multiple sclerosis, Parkinson's, dementia, strokes, advanced heart failure, lung failure, kidney failure, liver failure? Wow, a lot of failure, but a lot of us have some level of failure. Well, maybe you've never really heard of something called palliative care, which looks to improve the quality of life for both the patient and the family through the prevention and relief of suffering caused by an illness. And this is all without replacing anyone's current clinical team. In the United States, there are 14, almost 14 and a half million patients living with life-altering illnesses who could benefit from palliative care. In our Rethinking Heroes vetting process, we're always looking for cutting-edge solutions to many of our mainstream problems, and we found an organization called Pality, P-A-L-L-I-T-Y, that provides real-time access to care and support systems, drug management support, and marketplace of services to the doorstep. If you have PTSD, if you're a service member, this is a perfect route for you, too. With me is Dr. Aryan Nashat, CEO and founder of Pality, and Dr. Nashat who not only is that, is a consulting and telehealth company focused on empowering institutions, clinicians, and patients to engage together in meaningful advanced care planning and specialty palliative care support. Dr. Nashat or Nashat integrates the best of allopathic and traditional modalities and leads a concierge 
palliative oncology practice, which specializes in minimizing a patient's therapy and disease-related symptoms while optimizing their quality of life. She's worked as a clinical faculty for Department of Defense at the Naval Medical Center in San Diego, uh, Virginia, and or, sorry, and also in Virginia and Scripps Memorial Hospital, educating staff, residents, and fellows. And I want to welcome you to Rethinking Heroes. Thank you so much for having me, Carrie. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, a lot of us have not, we, we know the word palliation. We know about palpating. We know this, we know that. We know a lot of words to start with P. But palliative care, uh, I think there's only 7,500 doctors in the U.S. practicing it. Help us know, what is that? So palliative medicine has been a really difficult topic for people to understand. It often gets confounded with hospice. And I want to be very clear about the fact that there are two very different things. Palliative and hospice are a continuum of each other. But patients who are palliative are still undergoing what we call disease-modifying treatment. There is still something to do to change the behavior of their serious diagnosis. And so palliative care physicians work with the patient's existing teams to minimize the burdens of both their treatment and their illness and provide a comprehensive support system for that patient, their family, their loved ones, and look at a patient really holistically. We don't look at them as just their disease entity. We look at all of the things that impact their experience of illness, including the psychosocial, the emotional, what kind of support systems and belief systems they have. So really trying to help a patient engage with the medical system in the most productive way to meet their own goals. Uh, service members and vets have many service-related risk factors that contribute to life-limiting illnesses like heart failure and COPD, kidney disease, liver disease, cancer, progressive neurological diseases. We've had dozens and dozens and dozens on this show with everything from Gulf War syndrome to whatever. Uh, this sounds like a pretty good fit for many of them. Absolutely. Um, I still work clinically with, with our service members at the VA in San Diego. Um, and I have to say, I'm probably diagnosing a cancer probably at least once a week. Um, if not more in the emergency department, I work with so many vets who come in who have multi-system organ failure of various sorts from their time in the service. So our service members are exposed to much higher risks than the general public, toxic exposures, you know, burn pits, things that the, the normal public would not see. And so palliative medicine is absolutely appropriate for anyone who is diagnosed with a life-limiting illness. And it doesn't have to be when they're profoundly symptomatic. My goal is to really bring palliative care forward. One of the things we do phenomenally well is something called anticipatory guidance. We help people understand what's coming down the pipe so that they can prepare for it, so they can handle it the best way possible, so they can make decisions that allow them to create all of the, the network that they need so that as their illness progresses, their family is supported, their children are supported, they have what they need, they know what they're going to need. Best way for people to learn more would be to go to pality.com, P-A-L-L-I-T-Y, and you can learn more about how this all works. And again, there's just a limited amount of doctors in the United States with millions and millions of people that could actually use this. It is not hospice. So this isn't just kind of, you know, fill them full of morphine and leave them alone in a bed. This is actually, you know, best quality of life for as long as it can possibly go. That's called palliative care. Let's just end quickly um, with your way to make it more available to patients and families. Right now, this is probably a first time idea to a lot of people. Absolutely. So, you know, the reality is, is depending on where you are in the country, you may or may not even have access to palliative care. If you are somewhere that's a major metropolitan city, you're somewhere near a medical teaching center, chances are there's palliative medicine services somewhere near you. But rural United States has minimal access. Only 17% of rural hospitals have access to palliative care. So, my goal and the goal of Pality is really to broaden the access to patients regardless of diagnosis or prognosis wherever they are. So the majority of our work is done via telehealth at this time. We have boots on the ground in several metropolitan areas in the United States right now, but we're hoping to expand our services nationwide. And we welcome inquiries from people who are interested in learning more about what we're doing, how they can support us, and just want education about why this may be relevant to them.
All right. Well, that's perfect. That well played. And telehealth is absolutely the way to go, uh, especially in rural areas. And this can really change uh, the way things look for vets, for people in service, just people, live humans, actually, of which there are many, many millions here in the United States. We've been talking to Dr. Dr. Ariane Nashat, founder and CEO of Pality, P-A-L-L-I-T-Y. You can Google it. It's a consulting and telehealth company focused on empowering institutions, clinicians, and patients to engage together in meaningful advanced care planning and specialty palliative care support. Thank you so much for joining us today. Carrie Harrison with you. This is Rethinking Heroes. Looking very much forward to seeing you next week. Our website, as always, is RethinkingHeroes.com. Rethinking Heroes with Carrie Harrison, Life After the Military, RethinkingHeroes.com. Peace, everybody. This is DJ Sean O, and you are listening to KPFK 90.7 FM, Los Angeles. I wanted to let you know you can check out Soundwaves Radio with hosts Val the Vandal and myself each and every Friday evening from 8 to 10 p.m. right here on 90.7 FM, KPFK, Los Angeles. The Car Show has aired on KPFK since 1973. And perhaps you have a car that's been sitting in your driveway since 1973 or 1993. Or maybe you're still driving it, but it's time to say goodbye. Get rid of that thing and help KPFK at the same time. Your donation of your old car gets it out of your life and helps KPFK as a tax-deductible donation. And not just cars, trucks, boats, and motorcycles are also welcome. It's easy. Just call 877-KPFK-AUTO and we'll handle all the details. Let your old car help KPFK. On Saturday mornings, make sure your dial is set at 90 point.